on my couch. Welcome to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Carol, a psychiatrist and your terrorist therapist. I'm here to help you and your family reach your dreams despite living in a time of terror. Yes, Nicholas Cruz putting him on my couch. What does he have to do with terrorism, you might ask? Well, uh, it seems as though, and I'm not saying that he was inspired by ISIS per se, but it seems as though um, he, in preparation for the school shooting that he perpetrated on Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School on Valentine's Day in Parkland, Florida, um, it seems as though he has been studying, he stated, he admitted <laughs> he, that he has been studying um, previous school shooters and bombers. Uh, that's the, the, this is in his um, uh, social media posts and, and things that he told people and so on. Uh, you know, that is the tragedy of the whole thing, besides the fact that he killed 17 people, 14 were hospitalized, and there are undoubtedly more who were injured without needing to be hospitalized. The tragedy is that with all of these announcements um, on social media, in person, uh, and so on, with all these clues that he was dropping everywhere, that nobody stopped him. Well, I'm going to talk more about that, but for right now, let me uh, put him on my couch, analyze him from birth on. The first thing to look at, and these are 10, uh, 10 things that made him tick and become a ticking time bomb. First of all, he was adopted, and he, we don't know, at least not yet, and it's going to be interesting to see whether his biological parents will come forward at some time, but um, since we don't know them or the media or the police haven't been telling who they are, we don't, you know, there are no reports of who they are, um, but still he could well have and likely inherited a genetic predisposition to some kind of mental illness from his biological parents. Number two, he was adopted. Many children who are adopted, not all of course, but many people who are adopted carry resentment with them, a chip on their shoulder, because they feel abandoned and unloved by their biological parents. And they also feel that there must be something wrong with them that their biological parents gave them up for adoption. Actually, in Nicholas's case, it was Nicholas and his younger brother who the family gave, who the biological parents gave up for adoption. And um, they were adopted by the Cruz family at some point. Um, Actually, when they were, when, well, there, it's interesting because it was, um, I mean, I, there are reports that he was adopted when he was a baby, but if he had a younger brother, um, that means this, the Cruz family's, well, <laughs> the, the biological parents had, had more children and, and gave the second one up for adoption also. We don't, we don't know the details of that, but suffice it to say, 
that certainly uh, this question of genetic predisposition to mental illness and this issue of being adopted and being made to feel abandoned and unloved by, you know, what's wrong with me that my biological parents gave me up? Although it seems as though the Cruz family, the adoptive parents, were really good parents and um, tried to, to help him or tried to raise him in a positive kind of way. Now, there are reports that he was diagnosed with autism or some other psychological problem and that he may have been on medication. These were some reports from some relatives of the um, adoptive parents. His adoptive father, unfortunately, when he was six years old, died suddenly of a heart attack. So he lacked male guidance since he was six years old. And then also, uh, after his father, his adoptive father died, his adoptive single mother had to go to work and had less time for the boys. And apparently, Nicholas made, um, <laughs> made good use, or I should say bad use, of the time that he had, the, the increased free time that he had, the less supervision that he had, to get into all kinds of trouble. So, for example... Um, he, now we're up to, we're up to number five, actually. Um, he hurt and killed animals. Now, the signs of a child who is going to become a psychopath, there are three main signs. One is torturing, killing, hurting animals. Another is um, bedwetting. And we don't know, I don't know at this time whether uh, Nicholas was a bedwetter. And then the other was a fire setter. And similarly, I don't know if he ever started fires. Oh, we will maybe um, get to know these things at some point. But in any case, um, one of the examples of, you know, he put some of the dead animals who he killed on posts, uh, he posted them on social media. You know, another example of uh, his dangerousness being in plain sight and no one doing anything about it. Um, now, uh, his, his, um, his, the police, actually, what I was mentioning about how his mother tried to, uh, other than the fact that she had less time for him, tried to raise him well, and, but she had to call the police to their home at least 10 times when he was acting out and she couldn't control him. And she tried to use this calling of the police as a method to, um, you know, to get him to straighten out, which obviously didn't work. Um, I think she was a little too much of a, you know, too loving, which, which actually happens a lot of times when people adopt children. Um, they want so much to be good, loving parents, and they want to make up for the child having been adopted. And sometimes, and I don't know this to be a fact, but just from some of the things that the relatives have said, it seems as though sometimes um, she may have been uh, a little too, I don't know, a little too, uh, like spoiled him a little too much, or certainly didn't recognize enough um, how dangerous he was and how much help he needed. Um, psychiatric help, professional help. Uh, he, one of the, in, in terms of going back to this hurting and killing animals, one of the things that he did was he sent his dog to attack a neighbor's pig. Now, come on. Come on. 
that would have been a point, if nothing else, if nothing had happened before this, certainly that would have been a point when somebody should have recognized that this guy needed to be hospitalized, that this is a little, I mean, obviously killing and torturing animals as well, for that matter, were signs that he should have been hospitalized in a psychiatric hospital. But sending a dog to attack a neighbor's pig, that is warped. Um, so she didn't, you know, there, there are varying reports about his having gotten, gotten some kind of mental health treatment. That has not come out yet because, of course, you know, according to HIPAA laws, um, the uh, doctors, mental health professionals are not allowed to reveal uh, this kind of private information. But one thing that we do know is that he stopped going uh, at some point to whatever mental health clinic he had been going to, and nobody did anything about it. I mean, not his mother, um, not, not other people who knew him, not the school, um, not the police. You know, in Florida, there's such a thing called the Baker Act, and what that means is uh, it's similar to other states. It's essentially, it means involuntary hospitalization for psychiatric reasons. And if someone is a danger to self or a danger to others or is unable to provide food and shelter for themselves, they can be psychiatrically hospitalized involuntarily. And um, certainly with all of these clues that he was giving out, like talking to his friends at school, I mean, you know, that's <laughs> so many kids at, at the school are saying that, um, that when they heard, you know, when they realized what was happening and, and that, that they knew it was him, that everybody knew it was him, <laughs> you know, which, which means there's undoubtedly going to be uh, lawsuits, there are undoubtedly going to be lawsuits against this school for, um, yes, they expelled him. First, at some point, they, um, because of his recognizing that he was uh, threatening and so on, they, first they uh, prevented him from carrying a backpack to school. They wouldn't allow him to carry a backpack because, of course, they were worried that he would carry a gun or other weapons um, in his backpack. But uh, then at some point later when he when they realized he was more dangerous than that, they suspended him. Now, suspensions in schools, not just at Parkland, but at, um, all, you know, whenever schools suspend kids, that is always asking for trouble because you can't just send a child who um, was either doing extremely badly in in class, you know, doing, uh, not learning, and so on, um, you know, failing, suspending him, or ex expelling him for failing, or certainly expelling him because he's dangerous. If you just expel the child, that, I mean, as if, you know, as if that's going to solve the problem. You send a child like that out into the world as if, you know, well, you've done your job, and okay, we expelled him. I mean, there shouldn't, I don't believe, and I've thought this for a very long time, that there shouldn't be such a thing as expulsion. That schools should not be allowed to just throw these kids away. They have to be put into some kind of uh, compulsory program, which provides not only uh, remedial teaching, 
but remedial mental health treatment because obviously, you know, there are problems with these kids. And to just send them out, okay, he's not our problem anymore, um, is just an incredible disservice to the community. And this is certainly a great example of that. And as I was starting to say, there are going to be lawsuits because even though he was expelled, um, somehow he managed to get back in that day. And so at the very least, it's for not keeping him off the campus um, and allowing him to get in. But um, also, you know, there could well be other uh, causes of action, other liability, you know, such as not making sure that he did stay in psychiatric treatment. Of course, that's a whole other thing. There will probably be, and quite frankly, I believe that there should be, um, uh, lawsuits against the mental health professionals who didn't do their job and didn't hospitalize him involuntarily, even though they should have recognized that he was a danger to others. Let me go back to these, putting him on my couch and talking about these 10 things that, um, that made him tick and made him become a ticking time bomb. Um, he, his bravado, he let people know that he had guns and that he was shooting animals and so on. This was also a cry for help that fell on deaf ears at school and the mental health clinic. His violent, number seven, his violent postings on social media were similarly ignored and it only fueled his rage that he was giving out all of these signals of his distress and everyone was essentially ignoring him except for expelling him, but not doing anything to heal his wounds. So in other words, he's telling people, he's showing people on, on the internet. Um, he's doing all of these things that are saying, hey, look at me, folks. Uh, I'm going to commit a school shooting. I mean, he, he's written these things. Um, he, he, on someone's uh, YouTube videos, he wrote, I'm going to be a professional school shooter. So, I mean, what more could he, ha I mean, I'm not, you know, I, I, I'm not, not trying to sympathize with him, although in a sense I do kind of, because, um, I mean, what he did is, is there's, uh, it was, <laughs> there are no words for the, um, how terrible it, what he did was, but at the same time, it's not like, you know, people are saying, oh, what is, well, some of the people are saying, oh, what a surprise, like the family who took him in um, after his mother died. And I'm kind of getting to the end of the story before we're, you know, I, uh, spoiler alert. Um, but, I mean, I'll go back to that. But, you know, so some people are saying, oh, we're so surprised, you know. And yet the people who knew him best, like the other kids at the school, knew that he was dangerous, knew that he, he heard him talk about his guns and, and, um, and shooting things up and, and killing animals and everything else, and, and knew and said to each other, laughed with each other, because no one really wants to believe this. They laughed with each other about, oh, boy, if someone shoots up the school, it's going to be him. So what do you think it does to him or anyone who is putting out all these signs of cries for help and he's not getting any? Or the help that he is getting, and boy, oh, would I love to be, uh, <laughs> I would love to be the expert witness in this case in the lawsuits against the mental health facility. I would love to read their records 
And uh, oh, I'm sure, I'm sure the help that he got, well, obviously it was insufficient um, from the fact that they didn't hospitalize him to probably the fact that they were, you know, not giving him therapy. Maybe they were giving him medicine, but not really, you know, and seeing him once a month. I don't know. Whatever it was that they did, it obviously wasn't appropriate and wasn't enough. Um, what else? Uh, so the more that he was ignored, the more rageful he got. Okay, number eight. He had an, an altercation with the new boyfriend of his ex-girlfriend. So there was the loss, in other words, of the, of the uh, ex-girlfriend, you know, which is another thing that fuels people um, who become school shooters. Uh, and, and then, as I was saying, first they prevented him from carrying a backpack, then they expelled him. Um, and what's interesting is that being expelled triggered his rage at his biological parents for having essentially expelled him from their life. So he took revenge on the school, shooting up this school that expelled him, because he couldn't take revenge on his biological parents, presumably, if he knows who they are or where they live. One doesn't know that yet. But um, it, was, it was easier to take revenge on the latest, uh, the most recent injury, you know, the most recent wounds that he got, the school that expelled him. And then the final trigger was his adopted mother dying suddenly of the flu and pneumonia on November 1st. Now, this not only reminded him of being abandoned by his biological mother, but it took away the last shred of guidance and love that he had and replaced it with grief. And also, I think that there might well be something, um, there was something about his mother going to a clinic and then she didn't get better and then she went to the hospital. And I have a feeling that there was probably something there where the mother, you know, didn't get the appropriate treatment right away when she went to the clinic. And, um, and therefore died, you know, that, in other words, so that he would be angry at the system for not giving her good enough medical treatment and, um, you know, caring enough about her. Like, you know, he felt like nothing. He felt worthless, like garbage thrown away. And now he would have felt that his mother was essentially thrown away. And then last but not least, it was Valentine's Day. And Valentine's Day became a perfect date for his rampage because it highlighted to him that he had no one who wanted to be his valentine. In other words, no one who loved him, not any more parents, you know, biological or adoptive. They were all gone, well, you know, from his life. No friends who wanted to, uh, who cared about him. No girlfriends. And it would also uh, be a perfect date because it would spoil the day of love for others when others were having valentines and because it would make him the most notorious school shooter, he would be the Valentine's Day school shooter. So who failed Nicholas? First of all, there are eight people who failed Nicholas, <laughs> at least. I mean, eight, not really eight people, there are more than eight people, but there are eight people slash entities who failed Nicholas. First, his biological parents for giving him and his younger brother up for adoption. Um, second, his adoptive parents for not keeping him in psychiatric treatment. 
and may, you know, there's this question of, of his having been diagnosed autist, as autistic or some other psychological problem. And so it, it seems that they brought him in for treatment at some point, but they didn't keep him in it. And then the mental health professionals, as I was saying, for not giving him uh, adequate treatments, psychotherapy, the right medication, hospitalization. Um, surely they would have known about his homicidal impulses if everybody else did. Uh, his school for not doing more than simply expelling him and for not stopping him from entering the school on the day of the massacre. The loophole that let him acquire a gun, uh, you know, I mean, if he had been hospitalized involuntarily, um, then I'm not sure of the Florida laws, but I think that he would have, whether this is federal or, or, or whether Florida has this law, but I think that he wouldn't have been able to, I mean, he wouldn't have been able to legally acquire a gun as he did legally acquire it um, if he had had a history of being hospitalized for psychiatric reasons. And then the FBI, who didn't intervene after being warned by a YouTuber, there was a YouTuber named Ben Benite that Nicholas left a comment on one of his videos. That was the, that's whose YouTube channel it was. And that was where he left the comment, I'm going to be a professional school shooter. And so Ben notified the FBI. And the FBI um, supposedly did something to try to track down who this was and they couldn't find him. I don't know. There are various explanations of that. But bottom line, they didn't find him and didn't stop him. Then the family that took him in, after his mother died, first he went to live with um, some uh, friends of that family, of his mother, and then he had a friend who went to the Parkland High School, the school that he shot up, and um, this friend's parents took him in, and they knew he had a gun, a rifle, um, but they let him put the rifle in, in the, uh, in their safe, but, they, but he had the key and they knew he had the key. Now, obviously these were people who trying to be, you know, do-gooders and yes, the road to hell is paved with good intentions sometimes, but why, if you, if you, why did you let him bring his rifle to begin with? <laughs> you know, if you're going to do, um, if you're going to provide him with room and board and caring and all of that, um, in fact, they took him to, they enrolled him in a GED school and they got him a job. And so they weren't trying to do good. Um, but then why on earth did they let him keep his gun and keep the key to the gun safe? So, you know, they're probably going to, they're probably, they're a sitting target, so to speak, also for lawsuits because that was the gun that he used in the massacre. Um, the, also, you know, I mentioned the FBI, but it's also actually the cops who came to the uh, home that uh, Nicholas's, when Nicholas's mother called cops t at least 10 times to their home. Uh, they should have done more to than they did whatever it is that they did you know tell him to be a good boy or something they should have recognized that this was an ongoing dangerous situation they probably could have found something 
to arrest him for. Um, and they could have certainly taken him to a psychiatric ER where he should have then be commit, been committed. Uh, so that also, and then last but not least, the makers, this hasn't come out yet, or at least I haven't seen it anywhere yet, uh, about how he was obsessed with violent entertainment. But mark my words, just with all the other uh, school shooters, I can assure you that he was obsessed with some kind of, one or more kinds of violent entertainment. So in fact, let me, let me um, tell you about the pattern that I have discerned uh, of school shooters, because there is a pattern and this pattern can be stopped. Um, and, and that is, you know, for the parents of the children who were killed or who are injured, I mean, I can't even imagine how, how angry, how sad, of course, but after the sadness will come the anger at all the people and entities who could have stopped this guy. And, you know, even for himself, um, you know, so that he didn't end up as he is right now, he's in jail, of course, charged with 17 counts of premeditated murder, and he can get the death penalty, which uh, it may well be likely. And um, I don't know if I mentioned, I mentioned that the school was in Parkland, Florida. Um, again, just in case I didn't mention, it was Marjorie Stoneman Douglas High School. And uh, this was at 2.40 in the afternoon on Valentine's Day. But let me go back to the pattern of school shooters. There are, it's like, it's like a recipe, you know, it's one and one, <laughs> one plus one plus one. Um, you add all these things together and what comes, what you bake, uh, what comes out the other end is a school shooter. Now, so it starts with abuse or neglect in the, um, in the family. Then there is, um, they come from a broken family. So in this case, Adopt, not only adoption, but then the adoptive family, the father dies, and then the mother died. So that was very broken. Um, then obsession with violent media. Uh, also bullying, and there is evidence now that he was bullied. There, um, They talked about how there's a place in the school where the kids who are outcasts uh, usually hang out, like at lunch, and that he wasn't even with that group, like he was beyond, they didn't even accept him. So there's bullying, there's being an outcast. Um, then, of course, by this point, they have psychiatric problems, uh, which then become untreated, or left untreated, or insufficiently treated. Then they have access to guns. Then there is a triggering event, such as a loss, for example, the breakup of a romantic relationship that he had, that, um, that Nicholas had, or the loss of a close um, parent, which he had with his mother just recently dying, um, being shamed, you know, bullied, and then a final straw that causes hopelessness. And it seems as though the final straw in his case was 
his mother's death. Um, that uh, that left him without anyone caring for him at all. And then I guess you could say the final, final straw was it being Valentine's Day, which brought home how nobody loved him. Then um, at, at this point, the, the school shooter-to-be uh, is feeling hopeless, lost, and is thinking about suicide. So it is often a choice between suicide and homicide. And uh, in this case, Nicholas chose homicide because he wanted to get revenge, get revenge at the school that expelled him, which was also in his mind, uh, at least unconsciously, getting revenge at the parents, the biological parents who gave him up for adoption, and revenge in a sense, on his adoptive parents for abandoning him by their death. Yes, of course, it wasn't their fault and they didn't want to die, but it still felt like an abandonment. And then he wanted to take down others who seemed to have a better life, and he wanted to become famous, which, of course, he has done. Now, in this decision between suicide and homicide, uh, a lot of these people, wannabe, would-be, um, burgeoning school shooters, uh, expect or want to have suicide by cop. Now, in this case, um, he didn't die. Nicholas didn't die. And he was, he, he left the school. He, he became part of the crowd that was fleeing the school so that he could flee. And then he was caught soon after, and he didn't put up any kind of fight, and so he was caught alive. Now, um, uh, it's, it's also, you know, it, it, this, this part about his having been a member of a um, white supremacist or white nationalist group has just come out. And when I first heard about it, it seemed like ISIS uh, claiming responsibility for some terror attack when they, this person really wasn't a member of ISIS, though they may well have been inspired by ISIS. But of course, ISIS wants to claim responsibility because it, you know, bolsters what they are capable of. And, um, you know, one more terror attack to their credit. But when ISIS claims responsibility, and they are in some faraway land, um, there, is, there are no consequences for for them, you know. Um, in other words, they are not going to be uh, put in jail along with the shooter or along with the terrorist who commits the terrorist act uh, because, because they're not here and they can't be arrested. But, and plus, you know, if it's just inspired by, um, you know, if there, if there aren't specific ties that can be tracked down by the FBI or you know, or CIA, or um, then they can just call anybody, any terrorist act, uh, they can claim responsibility for it. But, so in this case, this white supremacist group is saying that he was a member of them, and that in fact he trained with them. Um, oh, I left out one thing that's really kind of an interesting 
An interesting aspect to this, and it's sort of a double-edged sword, literally, he was a member of, ju of Junior ROTC, and he actually received awards, um, some for his academic ability, and, uh, you know, which, which is a double-edged sword because, because uh, you know, that was sort of the socially approved of way of had playing with guns or being, you know, being in the military. He wanted to join the military when he got out of high school. Um, so, you know, to say that that contributed to his shooting at the school, I don't know that one could really, I don't really want to say that because um, there are a lot of positive things that come from, and I, I think he got a lot of positive, well, I mean, you know, there was at least, there was at least the, the what, the uh, pride in getting these various awards and so on. Did it maybe get him too familiar with guns, teach him, uh, you know, did that help in, in terms of helping him uh, uh, have better, kill more people, you know, a better aim? Possibly, I don't know. But, but that was an interesting aspect to his, to his background. So, um, so, you know, the, so the question looms, all of this media coverage of terrorism and terrorists and all of the romanticism associated with terrorists, uh, is that breeding school shooters? Maybe, you know, the people who don't want to travel to the Middle East or don't want to get involved um, with a religion, you know, um, or, uh, don't want to join a terrorist cell per se. Uh, in fact, supposedly he, um, you know, from this this supremacist group, white supremacist group, he uh, allegedly hated Jews, Muslims, and blacks. Anybody who wasn't who wasn't white and Jewish, I guess. Um, and and the, and that was so. That was part of it. So you know, is. So, so hating Muslims, it would have been hard for him to join a radical Islamist terrorist cell, perhaps. Uh, so is this what people do who don't want to join these terrorist organizations, but they do want it, but they're filled with rage and they do have these makings um, of someone who is going to be a school shooter or, or these things, or who could have, for that matter, who could have if they were in a different environment, uh, joined the terrorist cell. Um, so that, that inspiration, the, the um, connection between terrorism, the influence of terrorism on school shooters is something that really needs to be examined further and, um, and explored. I mean, now, for example, you know, since he was captured alive, um, this would be the kinds of things that he would, if he's willing to talk about it, would, one could get a lot of good information from him. Well, um, very sad. My, of course, my, my deepest sympathies go to the families of the, those who were killed and injured. My sympathies also go to the, uh, other, to the classmates. You know, even the classmates who did, look at all the classmates who did know, you know, who are saying now, oh, yes, we knew if anybody would shoot up the school, it would be him, the guilt that they're going to be carrying for the rest of their life. I mean, this has injured even more people 
than those who were killed and physically injured. This has traumatized the whole school. I mean, really, all these kids are going to have PTSD as well. So my sympathy goes out to all of them. And not, something needs to be done, uh, not just lip service, but something more effective needs to be done in general to stop these school shooters. Because just like terrorist acts breed terrorist acts, school shooters <clears throat> breed school shooters. Well, um, thank you for listening to The Terrorist Therapist Show. I want to uh, refer you to my website uh, for more information about terrorism, and it's um, www.terroristtherapist.com, terroristtherapist.com. And also, um, if you would like information about my new book, which really has a lot of information on there um, that would help, it's, it's to help parents and teachers talk with kids about terrorism, but there are also a lot of things in there that would help parents and teachers talk with kids about school shootings, the same kinds of ideas, you know, getting kids to express their feelings, not pretend, trying to pretend that terrorism doesn't exist, school shootings don't exist, uh, trying to shield kids from, from this, you know, pretending that they don't know what's going on in the news, right? Um, and, and for more information on that, you can go to www.terrorismforkids.com. Terrorism, the number four, kids.com. So thank you for listening to the Terrorist Therapist Show on Renegade Talk Radio. I'm Dr. Carol, your terrorist therapist.